Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. We're super excited to have Ray Allen back on as a sponsor out in Colorado Springs. Be sure to use the discount code Working Dog Radio, spelled out, for your ten percent off of your next order. RayAllen.com. It's not just for working dogs, guys. It's for all dogs and no sex offenders. True story. You guys have all heard us talk about it. Our favorite e-collars, dogshow.com. They got ball trainers. They got bark collars. They got the 1900S that we love. Ted, how do they get a discount? Go to dogshow.com, just like it sounds. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. I suggest the ball popper or the 1900S because I use a ton of both of those. But yeah, dogshow.com. Our good friend Cameron Ford, we've had him on the podcast. We've been on his podcast. He's over there in Vegas now, SilverStateK9.com. He's brought his scientific approach to detection work over there to Vegas, SilverStateK9.com. All kinds of uh, detection and supervisory schools and everything else like that. Ted, what do you think of that place? It's awesome. I mean, Cameron is one of the most well-versed guys when it comes to the scientific approach and the detection work when it comes to finding bombs or drugs. He's one of the only guys, I think, that ever ran a dog in three states as a law enforcement officer, if I remember correctly. But yeah, great facility, great people, great training. Uh, hit him up, SilverStateK9.com. If you guys have seen Ted and I posting pictures of these badass poker chips, we got we got them for Van S K9, Torchlight K9, HRD, Working Dog Radio. We get those from our friends at Combat Bet Challenge Coins. Ted, talk about where they can get them and a little discount. CombatBetBet.com. Use the discount code spelled out Working Dog Radio. And try before you buy with the sampler pack. Be sure to go to CombatBet.com forward slash WDR and then plug in the discount code. WDR, and they'll send you a free sample pack of the ceramic coins and of the metal ones, so you can choose which one you want. Handling HME is a dangerous proposition for any explosive handler, although it is a relevant, credible threat in today's environment. And because of that, we got to have a way to train on it other than just once a year doing the NORT standard. So how do you do it? Well, the easiest way is to get TrueScent. It is the safest way to handle and detect HME. It's actual odor suspended in silica. It's not a pseudo, it's an actual simulant. TrueScent canine or give them a call at 512-533-2040. When you get your, your kit, they actually have an expert call you and talk to you and work you through how to do their imprinting on it. True Scent, the letter K, the number 9.com. Enter discount code WDR15 for 15% off your training aids. We're super excited to have Horizon Structures on board as a sponsor of the podcast. They're a family-owned business, and they have quality customer service, and their pricing is super, super simple. In fact, if you head over to Horizon Structures, you can see the full gamut of their pre-made kennels, and they go from mild to, I would live in one of these things, wild. So, uh, Eric, (laughs) where can you find them? Horizonstructures.com. It's like a buffet for kennels and everything on that. Horizonstructures.com, or call them toll-free, 888 447-4337. All right, everybody, we are back. Uh, Post hits, Working Dog Radio. I am co-host Eric Stambro from Ohio. With me always from Tulsa, Oklahoma, is Ted Summers. Ted, how's it going? It's hot. (laughs) Yeah? It's still hot here. (laughs) I mean, we almost died in Texas at the HRE thing. It was so freaking hot down here. Man. It was warm for sure. Yeah. yeah so uh, no, nah, I guess when this when this episode airs, it'll be in October. 
Um, but, uh, like right now it's the middle of September and I've got a handler school going on and like the dogs are still melting. The heat index is like 115 today. So <laughs> it's still, it's still ridiculous. Nice. Yeah. I don't even look at that here. I mean, it's been hot. It's been steady in the eighties, but I like it's comfortable. Yeah. When we, yeah. uh, I don't know. Once it gets above 100 and something degrees with the heat index, it's just academic at the point. People are like, oh, it is. I'm like, it's just hot. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is the first episode after uh, all the hits episodes um, played. So, yeah, just a reminder that everybody uh, hits is going to be in the Phoenix area next year in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, August of 2020. So um, should be a good time. Eric and I are going to be there. We're going to be instructing. Um taking the dog and pony show on the road, doing the high-risk deployment stuff on scenario-based training with the HITS guys. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're looking forward to that. It's going to be good for sure. That was a good series, series of uh, interviews we had. Uh, those were uh, some good stuff. Um, we got a lot of messages about the one with Cameron, the tracking one. That was pretty good. Yeah, no, that was that so, was a good one, yeah. For sure, and Ted Dawes always <laughs> it's always good to talk oh, to. Oh, that, that dude's so is. money. It's, it's insane. <laughs> That guy, <laughs> at least on the on the Fourth Amendment, or like on the uh, on the drug side, the Fourth Amendment side, or, and the you know search and seizure stuff, he is. I mean, and I, it has to be because in Florida, you know, everybody's a crackhead down there, so I, <laughs> he sees a lot of cases. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's great, and right. you know that the Arizona case that you mentioned, um, I told that to my handlers, and they looked at me cross-eyed. And they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah. So I gave them the write-up on that case, um, and they were floored. They're like, I didn't know you could do that. I'm like, I know, I didn't either. Like, so yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was pretty stoked to uh, to hear cool. that. So, so who do we got tonight? Yeah, I well, before we get to that, I am in day nine out of a ten day fast, <laughs> and uh, oh, extra buzz for you. So, <laughs> to, at the end of the day tomorrow, I'll probably I'll probably be down about twenty one or twenty two pounds is my guess. But in the reason why I bring that up is this uh, Smashing Greens uh, fast drink that I drink makes me so freaking thirsty. So if you hear ice cubes, this is me drinking ice water. I'm not drinking a cocktail tonight. So like, <laughs> calm down. So anyways, with us tonight is a guest that's been recommended to us I, like 30, 40 times. I can't remember how many. Um, he has been in, in the decoy world and dog world for a long, long time. Um, uh, I think he taught uh, Abe Lincoln's dog handler at his inauguration how to decoy. So that's how long he's been doing it. Um, True story. He's he, he's a pot he's a podcast veteran. He's been on a bunch of other shows, and um, everybody speaks really highly of him. He still is doing tons and tons of training. So with us we have Franco. Welcome. Thank you very much, guys. Pleasure to be here. That was Absolutely. such a great in- intro. I, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's, that's a perfect intro. There's no problem. Abe's a good guy. There's nothing wrong. I had a nice dog. <laughs> Abe. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You had a nice dog. Yeah, had a nice dog. No, guys, I really appreciate you so, having me on. I look forward to the next one. So here's the thing about Franco. Uh, he's been in this business and been doing this a long time. Typically, at the beginning of these, we have the uh, the guest kind of go through his background and what led to us meeting up today. But we're, we're going to skip that because... If you don't know, you're, you've got your head in your ass. If you don't know Franco's background, how long he's been doing it, what he does in his specialty in the decoy world. So we're going to get straight into uh, talking about getting bit by dogs and teaching people to get bit by dogs. And um, we figured 
as Franco, that's your specialty, so we'll get at it. All right. I'm looking forward to it. You're still doing seminars all over the place, is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's all I do now anymore. I mean, there, there was a time, obviously, that I you know, obviously was in law enforcement, retired from law enforcement. And even while in law enforcement, I sort of uh, maintained a double career because most cops don't make that money to make it. So, we, you know, I ran a kennel in Pennsylvania and did a lot of importation for German, things like that. Uh, then I just wound it all down to my to one thing I was very, very passionate about, and that was obviously decoy. And, you know, I started structured classes in 94. Um, and like I say, because it was my passion, I, I chose after retirement, my wife's retirement, to move to North Carolina. And she said, you know, just do what you're passionate about and forget about all the other hats that you wear. And uh, so that's that's where I just stayed completely focused on that task. Uh, try to do about 25 seminars a year. You know, the last few years, it's all between 22 to 25 seminars a year. Sounds like a lot, but it's, it's really not that bad. Four-day seminars. You guys are pretty familiar with, you know, the routine of deep playing and, you know, what it takes physically to do it. Oh, yeah. So it's four days, 32 hours, and uh, keep it pretty structured. What percentage now versus when you were uh, kind of like maybe five, five, ten years into this, how much percentage at a seminar are you in the suit now? Uh, day one is my day in the suit. That's the way my program lays itself out. So after we do a behavioral portion of the class, I don't, I don't like the poor guys in the classroom for too long of a time period. You know the attention span of most cops and most military guys when you're sitting in a structured classroom. So I try to keep it entertaining as possible for about five hours. And we, we go over the basic behavioral things about a, of an animal and how they think and why they do what they do. And then day one is mine, and I try to work out there at the seminar. And I sort of ask the students at that time to sort of be the procurement team. They're actually looking at every single dog that walks on the field from a procurement level and say, what do you like, what don't you like, and how do you see it in a drive triangle sort of, uh, you know, to define a drive triangle, you know, praise social defense kind of dog. Where do you see this dog? And we want to, at the end of that day, we sort of want to make sure everybody's on the same sheet of music, that we're all basically seeing the same things in the animal. And then from that day, I, I take the bike suit off and I don't put it back on. It's the, the next three days, it's all about the decoy. In the beginning, when you're working on uh, that first day, are you starting out with just kind of like a a grip check thing to try to see where the dog's at? Yeah, so, I mean, it starts even prior to grip check. I mean, it starts when the dog exits the vehicle. I mean, that's what I try to tell my students. That's when, you know, when I go to Europe or whether I'm telling my students in my class, as soon as I can get eyes on the dog, that's when my evaluation starts. Because so many things are revealed as the dog enters the field, whether it's a medical issue, I mean, which can sometimes be really obvious, to just his posturing on the field, uh, the yawning, uh, you know, tail positioning, uh, how he acts as he enters the crowd of people, those kind of things as I hook him onto a back tie. That's really where my evaluation starts. And then obviously things begin with uh, with every dog that I've ever worked. That's probably the first thing that I've ever learned when I went to Europe was, you know, get a brief on an animal. Brief every dog you work before you work dog. Even though you have a handle walks on there and says he's the toughest dog in the world, take a dog, downfield hit with him. I won't do it. I always tell the guy, tell me about your dog. Give me a history. Of well, you know, he's a three-year-old, Mally, uh, PH1. Um, and I'll say, all right, tell me a medical side. Well, you just had, you know, had a stomach flip. You just came out of surgery. Well, that's, that's like an important <laughs> thing to know if I'm going to be yeah. <laughs> reaching up underneath his belly and picking him up in the air. Or, uh, you know, he has a stick issue. Well, that's, pretty, that's a pretty important thing to know if I'm going to have a stick in my hand. So the, these are all the things that I try to cover in the brief. We try to cover everything, you know, from age, level of training, health obviously we talked about already um and and then i go from there uh go on the back tie 
take the initial strike on the dog. If the dog's from Holland, sometimes I'll typically just play him out and put him on a bite suit right away because I know he's really, probably really familiar with it. If he's from the, anywhere in the old Eastern Bloc countries, Slovak, Hungary, Czech Republic, Poland, I typically know that the, most of their training is down the sleeve. I go the CB dogs. Although I will say over the last 10 or 12 years, you know, the Czechs, the Slovaks, they all know that we're going to put a body bite suit from these dogs one day. So they may do a sloppy job of it at times of introducing it, but I know that they're putting a bite suit on them. But I know the structure of the dog. The initial grip development of those dogs are typically done on the sleeve. So I'm always fair of the dog. What was he trained on? He was trained on the sleeve. Does that mean I won't transition to a bite suit? Absolutely not. I'm a firm believer of if he'll bite a sleeve, I'm going to bite a bite suit day one and probably put him on a front day one. Uh, but it's always, I'm always as fair to the dog as I possibly be. Get an initial grip on the dog, see where his mind's at, um, do a couple of little environmental things, and then just progress from that point. And I'm the same way I notice a lot of those Eastern Bloc cu- countries um, are, uh, like, for example, when I took over as head trainer of my unit at the end of 2010, um, I really and I didn't really know much... I, I don't know. I didn't. I kept my place when I was a handler, as far as training goes, and giving my opinion. But I really started noticing so many of our dogs. Even even some strong dogs were real forearm uh, motivated, you know, or runaway motivated. And um, I, I started seeing some dogs that we could not quite run off the field, but really make them stop in their tracks just by turning and facing them. Um, Sure. Have you seen, I mean, is it just, did it start out of the Dutch dogs, a lot more of the frontal stuff? Is it all really, um, I, I find it myself to be one of the most important aspects of doing the decoy work when you're teaching them. The frontal body bites? Is that where you're going? Is, yeah, that, yeah, like in the bicep and in the front and approaching the dog that way. Yeah, so, I mean, I, uh, I compare, every part of the body is important to me. So, I, you know, guys say, well, Frank's right. a big body bite suit guy and he's a big frontal guy. Uh, well, the reason that's probably said is because there's so many people that are lacking in that skill. I emphasize it so much because when I graduate a course, I tell the guys, hey, you know, I'm going to teach you backs. I'm going to teach you legs. I'm going to teach you frontals. I'm going to teach you everything. The one thing I really want you to, to work and hone your skills on is frontal body bites. It's because everybody here neglects it. And that's, that's a general term. Not everybody does. But the vast majority of guys that I've worked with over the years um, can, will typically always admit it's hard to find guys to work a dog on the front of the body. But once I, once we cross that bridge, once I get the guys to do it, and they go like, Franco, this is probably the best place to work a dog. I feel so comfortable having a dog on the front of my body. And it's only because you can manipulate drive. Um, and it's realistic. I mean, it's, it's, I'm not asking people to do things that we don't encounter on the street. I mean, we do encounter that all the time. It's a lot like passive man strike. I mean, for years and years and years, everything was prey fixation biting, prey fixation biting. Even today, I still see a lot of prey initiated biting. Um, and I'm much more interested in a dog doing passive man strikes. I mean, I'm not a, I don't believe in a lot of down, long downfield strikes. It's great if you're doing a demo, I guess, for the audience and things of that nature. But for, for law enforcement, uh, military, CQB kind of things that they do, and we, we're not looking at guys that are trying to be found. We're looking for guys that are trying to hide. And most guys trying to hide aren't going to be making noise and shaking their arms around. Um, so you, we've got to train in that fashion of being able to take passive man strikes. So, you know, I, I'm big on the emphasis of frontal body bites. I'm big on the emphasis that the dog must take any part of the body that is presented at that given moment. So, you know, I, there's been a lot of dogs that I can front snap kick and you could seriously injure a dog. Why? Because they don't do legs. People tend to avoid legs. 
So once again, that's a big emphasis of mine is getting the dog in the core part of the body. And the core body part of the body to me is anything above the knee and anything below the shoulder. Um, am I a big forearm guy? No, I, you know, obviously I'm not a real big, big guy. I like to use all my joints. So I got a shoulder joint, an elbow joint, a wrist joint. And I like to use all three of them to be able to manipulate that dog. If I start dropping them into the bicep, he's starting to leave the core a little bit. And obviously if he extinguishes himself all the way out to the forearm, I've really lost him in the core part of the body. And once again, then I just can't manipulate the driver, put it, put the amount of stress on the animal that I really want to be able to put onto him if he can handle it. Now, dogs do strike the bicep and strike the forearms and those outer extremities a lot because it's a muscle memory to them. That's what they were programmed to do in, in Europe, you know, with a Belgian arm, you know, it's the bicep biting, bicep biting, bicep biting, no different than a Schutzen dog that's used to biting the left side of the body on a sleeve. I mean, that's what they're cueing on the left side of the body. You know, a lot of times I'll come out of the blind. As I come out of the blind, I've got the dogs already looking. Even if I don't have equipment on, they're looking at my left side of my body. They're already queued up on that side of the body thinking that this is the side that I'm always going to go with. So, um, yeah, in answer to your question, frontal body bites, I know that was a long answer. I, I went on a rant yeah. there. I apologize. Um, but, uh, yeah, frontal body bites is really big to me, passive man, striking, and anything in the core. You know, you mentioned something <clears throat> that I think is kind of missed a lot, and it's something that Eric and I hammer home, I, I mean, every chance I get. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, every chance I get is passive bites. Um, and like you said, you know, a majority of these bites that these dogs are doing for, you know, for military law enforcement are dogs are bites that are passive and you know people are just sitting there waiting i think if they don't move that they're not going to get bit um so you know and (laughs) i i somebody mentioned this to me the other day and i had an administrator bring this up and um i didn't necessarily want to talk about it here i was going to talk about another episode we can do it here too but i i specifically had somebody ask me about bark and hold um and um, the, the why we don't do it or why we do do it or whatever um, the kind of uh, the, the reasoning behind why we're doing it so you know when we're asked to bite passive people a lot how do we then kind of go into <laughs> convincing a dog that they're also supposed to bite somebody that's passive when we teach them to do bark and hold I for those listening I don't believe in bark and hold but I kind of want to hear what you have to say well, I saw, you know, I came early back in the day. I mean, I'm not aging myself. I'm not that old, but I mean, so, you know, you, we talk about the 80s and the 90s. Um, a couple of things come into play. Um, if, I think most American vendors, American trainers that were around back then, if, if they're honest with themselves, uh, there was a limited amount of knowledge. I mean, where everything's coming out of a sport world, a lot of our dogs to this day are imported dogs. Um, we rely on a lot of what the Europeans imprinted on these animals. And back then, a lot of that was bark and hold. So rather than extinguish the bark and hold, which sometimes can be difficult because it is the default, but to extinguish the bark and hold and go to a, a recall, everybody sort of maintained it. They sort of maintained it because they thought it was safe. But then I think, um, you know, law enforcement in general, you know, it got smart. I mean, a, a bark and hold is actually counterproductive for all intents and purposes to what we do when you're actually on, when you actually got a physical man in front of you. I mean, it could be dangerous if you're holding a weapon. It can be dangerous enough. You know, the bark is great if you're doing a location in a building and the guy's behind the door and it's a, it's a location tool. But as far as a bark and hold, guys over the years have tried to extinguish it and have almost gone directly to what you've just 
finished talking about your with your agency about if some agencies like it. And there's a couple agencies across the country that were put under a consent decree by the federal government. No need to mention names, but they were. But they were forced into that bark and hold, and they were compelled to do it. Um, now, one or two the agencies have come out of their consent decree, and they still have to maintain some ordinance of a bark and hold. But they have their override commands, and these override commands allow the right. dogs to actually go into do a, a bite and hold, and they have the ability to also recall the dog. So, yeah. unfortunately... There are a couple agencies that still stick with it, but if you're asking my, me and my opinion of it, I think it's really counterproductive to what we do in a law enforcement and military working dog environment. Um, you know, if I send the dog downfield, I, I take responsibility to sending that dog down the field on, on, on that. Um, you know, that's just good, strong policy, uh, you know, picking good handlers that uh, aren't overzealous and, uh, you know what I mean, have an appreciation for the use of force continuum and, and know how to deploy their dog in the, in the right time. Um, you know, I, accidental, accidental bites happen. They do. I mean, believe me, I've, I've had one or two. Um, once again, <laughs> yeah. if you're right, yeah. you're right. If you're right, you're right. And you know, you, you, you come out of it pretty, pretty safely. I mean, you're, you're okay. So yeah, yeah. I mean, just a real quick overbrief. I, I'm not a big believer in the bark and hold. I, and that's what I initially was taught on. I mean, obviously if it shuts him when I was over in Germany, um, that's what I initially learned. I, I was in there in the military. Obviously, you know a little bit about my, my history. And you know, my initial training was at Lackland. Obviously, there's no bark and hold at Lackland. Uh, very little, little training in the decoy side. Um, but I was very fortunate to go to Germany. And, and a couple of my instructors. Not that I was a Schutzen guy. Don't get me wrong. I never got really involved in the sport. But I got. But and really, the Germans sort of kept me out of it. Um, they sort of said, "Hey, you know, you've got 18 months here. Let us teach you more about, you know, how to properly." manipulate a dog and his drives and explain drives in motion versus worrying about the routine of Schutzen. Now, even when I got back and I got involved in law enforcement here in the U.S., I, I got involved in Higgins, Pennsylvania with Higgins Valley Police and Schutzen Club and Rick Stuco, who's a phenomenal dog trainer um, and a phenomenal Schutzen was on the USA team. I mean, this guy was top of his game. Um, you know, he taught me a lot about, the, you know, the, the bark and old and the, and the Schutzen style, but it really isn't where where I felt my strength was going to be. I never wanted to really get into a routine of it. You've got to, and I think you know this already, once again, you get back in the 80s and the 90s, everything was sort of, you know, you don't give up trade secrets. Uh, you know, club stuff stays in the club. Departmental, we don't train outside of our agency. We only, well, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, look at the exchange of information that we give out today. I mean, you just came back from a hit seminar. You know, you got your blue line seminar. You got all these seminars that are out there nowadays. They weren't around in the in the 80s and the 90s in the early 2000s. Uh, even uh, major vendors, you know, that are out there today, to, to go to these seminars like the hit seminar or go to the blue line seminars and see these these uh, big vendors all sit down and talk with one another and share information. I mean, that is just so rewarding. If you were, because if you look at it from the perspective that I did, is from the where I was in the 80s and the 90s, and we're out there trying to steal information because nobody wanted to give anything up. Now everybody's willing to give and teach and share information, and I think it's because we now have the knowledge. I mean, it's it's rewarding for me to be able to go to Europe now and actually train European decoys. I mean, that's really an honor for me to be able to do it. I mean, that, that's unheard of typically because Europe's oh we've always pulled from the Europeans, um, so. Yeah, I mean, I once again, I, I went on a rant there about the bark and hold. We got into, into but it all ties itself together. Mm-hmm. It really does. So it all just ties itself together. The first time, I think the first time I had heard of you, because, again, I was just a handler. I didn't really go to anything. was about 2008, 
and it was at the Law Dog Invictus Law Dog Seminar out in Henderson or Vegas. Did you? Was that right? Did you yep. instruct there? Okay, so yep, that was the I first did. time yeah, I went. I, I went through your class, and there was a, f- a few things that I knew right away we were not doing back home. One of which was some some of the ground fighting stuff with the dogs that you're doing okay. uh, in some of the videos and pictures. But one of the things that struck me, and um, I not I'm not saying that I took it to heart, but I. Uh, and I want to ask you about it is one of the things back then anyways, I don't know if you still do this is there were people in your class that had been through your seminar and they were like reciting some, uh, Franco isms, I guess, maybe some things that are, are pretty standard <laughs> in your, your classes. And one of right. which at the time then was the decoys. If I, if I remember this right, should not wear sunglasses or hats when they're decoying. Is that still a, a yeah. thing with you? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's taboo for me. And when it, it now, so I'll, I'll, we'll get into this. But it is absolutely taboo for me. If somebody's asking me to work their dog, typically they're asking me to, to, to evaluate him and sort of figure out his quirks and try to get him over his quirks. And so animals communicate. And, you know, there's only four ways an animal communicates, one by touch, one by visual, uh, one by auditory, one by olfactory. So olfactory sort of plays a backwards role. It does. I mean, it plays a role in what we do, but it, when I'm actually evaluating or bringing uh strengthening the dog it, it's on the it's on the back side so i've got to rely on the other three uh auditory and visual and tactile so if i cover my eyes and i think we all know this nature in itself all animals if they're going to establish communication they can establish it through a visual communication they establish eye contact if there's a challenge for pack positioning it's not done over the cell phone hey one dog doesn't call another dog what's he do he establishes eye contact that's how they do it and it's very meaningful to the dog. So, baby, I mean, when I, when I talk about shading the eyes, I, I mean, I just think about human communication. And, I, you know, I try to tell people, I said, if you walk in your house tonight with, a, with, a, with your hoodie up and you're, and you're in a bad mood, you got your hoodie up and you got your sunglasses on and you don't want to, and you frown at your kids real strong, are they really going to get a clear picture of communication what you're trying to say? Versus if you have, if you stare at your kids and you're in a bad mood, do they know you're in a bad mood? Absolutely. Um, so if that's meaningful to a child who doesn't communicate all the time through a visual perspective, obviously you talk to them on, a, on the phone, you talk to them other ways, an animal doesn't have that perspective. They've always communicated through a visual perspective, through an auditory picture, and that's how we need to translate that when we're working the dog. Now, the argument will go, then, well, Franco, you know what? We're doing scenario-based training, and guys on the street, well, they wear sunglasses, they wear hats. We sort of got to simulate what they wear. I'm... That's a completely different perspective. That's saying, all right, Frank, you don't want me to you don't want me to go out there and evaluate your dog and do drive build. I'm gonna go out there and hide in a dumpster and you're gonna he's gonna come in there and I'm gonna fight him and I'm gonna be a bad guy. That's a completely different thing than when I am out there doing a procurement evaluation, drive build, trying to help a dog reach the next level. I'm putting everything in his favor. Uh, you know, if I'm if you if you can honestly say that you get information from an animal's eyes when you work a dog, when, you, when you're when you on the receiving end of a dog, if you can say that, then isn't it safe to say that he's trying to get the same amount of information from your eyes? And that's sort of how my mind works when I work an animal. And I try to show guys that in, in my class. You know, when I work a dog who's out of drive, you, know, you can see the little pinpointed pupils and everything else. Let me put them in the fight. Let me put them in the strong fight, and then I'll bring the guys around, and they'll see those those pupils are completely dilated out and he's he's in complete fight i mean he is completely stressed well if i was to put a pair of sunglasses on that animal 
then I would have lost a valuable piece of communication that would have told me which way to take that dog in the, in the next series of the fight. You know, back off, step it up, whatever I need to do. So it's, there's always communication that comes from the eyes. So it's really important to me. So what is your yeah, what is I mean, the hat I, theory then too? The same, well, once again, anything that shades the eyes, that's one thing that shades the eyes or takes away the frown or the, or the you know, the, my facial expressions. I give a lot of facial expressions. So anything that, de- that deters from facial expression, I, I tend not to wear. Um, is that an extreme? Yeah, more than likely. But I'd rather go extreme and then one guy do a violation of a hat but never wear sunglasses. At least I've achieved something. Um, you know, and I get the hat. I mean, like I say, I understand the whole perspective of it, but I just feel that the, I've got to be fair to the dog because the dog is always fair to me. That's, that's always been my perspective. I wear the hat strictly so I, no pictures are taken of me with hat head. <laughs> to be honest with you, it's all mine straight up uh, just for, for my own uh, benefit there. Yep. So let's talk about, because uh, you, me, you and Ted all do, that's terrible English, but me, you and Ted all do <laughs> a lot of the same stuff. And I didn't, again, didn't used to do it was a lot of the ground fighting and rolling with dogs a little bit and how much technique that takes and how much um, you can get out of it. You know what? I tell you what. Before we get into it, because that could be quite a that could be quite a long while. Let's go ahead and uh, take a break, so we can pay the bills, and we come back. We'll get into the, some of the actual techniques. Yeah. So probably my favorite product, one that actually really delivers what they say, has been Quick Derm by Vetcare. We use it on uh, all kinds of dogs in our kennels. It's it's fast acting wound care for all species of animals. You can use it on yourself. Ted and I both have done it. We got yep. cut. We got a lot of people doing it. We get a lot of testimonials on our social media from people showing pictures of what they've done with their dog. It's Quick Derm by Vet Care. Ted, talk about discount codes and where to find it. Yeah, if you go to vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR, you get 10% off your first order. And there's rumors that she upgrades the sizes too if you use that. So that may happen. It may not. You never know. But yeah, it, it keeps small things from becoming big things. Uh, so get some and toss it in your bag. It's t- temperature stable, so you don't have to worry about it cooking or freezing up in the patrol car. But yeah, vetcare. US. We love our partners down in Florida at Southern Coast Canine. We love Bill and Peggy Heiser. And of course, Danny Cornier, who's their right-hand man, is one of our favorite people as well. They do a fantastic job of selecting green dogs and training them up and getting patrols, handlers through patrol schools. And they also have a list of decoy schools and a full gamut of detection seminars as well. Eric, where can you find them? SouthernCoastCanine.com. That's the letter K, the number nine.com. Give them a call at 877-903-DOGS. I can tell you this, every seminar that we've been at where there's been Southern Coast Canine Dogs, they've all been solid. Every True. single one of them, never have to worry about it. We get right to work. SouthernCoastCanine.com. I've been dying to get this company on as, as a sponsor for the podcast, Horizon Structures. You go to their website and check it out. They have got some of the neatest things you can build for a kennel. Why do all the work yourself? Have somebody else do it. They will set it up at your location delivered anywhere in the continental U.S. Uh, Ted, talk about the website real quick. Yeah, it's horizonstructures.com. And if you go over and check it out, you can see 
the list of choices, which is almost mind boggling for everything from the outside to the inside. And you can go from completely mild and unfinished on the inside to completely decked out like a surgical suite with stainless steel, everything and heated floors and anything you can think of in between. And the big thing that you mentioned is they deliver anywhere in the United States and they set it up. So when it's set up, when they drop it off, you can put dogs in it immediately that day. And uh, yeah, saves a ton of time, but hit them up. Horizonstructures.com. 888-447-4337. They have an on-staff engineer that walks you through the entire process from start to finish, which is excellent customer service, which makes it much, much easier to get back to what you do well, which is training dogs. Yep, we just finished up the uh, hits uh, interviews and got them posted up from Chicago. Uh, next year, we're going to be doing the same thing, except Eric and I are also going to be instructing and bringing our unique brand of scenario-based training to the masses there, and it will be the masses in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's going to be the 18th through the 21st of 2020. Uh, hits K9, letter K number nine dot net is where you're going to go find all the information to get signed up. So, Eric, what did you think? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, I, I loved it. You know, Hits is the biggest and the best. They have the most handlers that come there. So, like, if you're a company that's wanting to be a vendor, you will not reach any more people in this business than it hits. 1,200 people. Know, a lot of people yeah. like me have never really been to Scottsdale and Phoenix. I, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be in August, but they got air conditioning like crazy. Yeah, 1,200 handlers and 100-ish uh, vendors. Yeah, they make it. They don't oversell the vendor thing, too. It's, the ratio is very appropriate. So if you're a vendor and you're looking, get on at hitsk9.net or call Jeff Baird at 863-529-5113. Hits, the letter K, the number 9.net. Yeah, it's no secret that Eric and I use a lot of equipment around the kennels at Van Ness and at Torchlight. Uh, so for e-collars and ball popping stuff, I use Dogtra. I use the 1900S hands-free and their ball trainer, which is a popper and a dropper. I think I've got like six of those things now, and they're all on one remote. So I hide them in our cars and on our buses, and I hide them in places inside the detection building. So we have like six stations that we run the dogs on. Super, super clean way of doing it, and uh, I modify mine with magnets so I can stick them anywhere. Uh, my handlers like the 1900S because they're they're putting the button on their plate carrier so they don't have to mess with a uh, handheld remote and manipulate that at the same time. But uh, Eric, where do you get this stuff? Go to dogtrut.com. Don't forget to use your discount code as WDR10. That is all caps, WDR10. 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. Take a look at that new 3500X. It's their new uh, two-dog system for trainers. I'm telling you, it's the best two-dog system I've ever seen out there. Dogtra.com, WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200. Some of our favorite people are, are out there in North Carolina, Highland Canine Training. Full gamut services, everything from green dogs, finished detection dogs, finished patrol dogs, all the way up to seminars, whatever you need there, full service facility. You can hit them up at Tactical police canine training.com yep we love those folks down there their website tactical police canine training.com is so easy to navigate around and see everything that they have they have uh, teams from all over the world that come there to train there tactical police canine training.com challenge coins seem to be like currency in the canine industry everybody has them and everybody trades them and everybody collects them so the guys over at combat bet make some really, really nice metal ones, and they make some really, really nice poker chip ones. Um, if you've ever seen Eric and I in person, you've gotten some of these, and I've got some for Torchlight. He has some for Van S. We have them for Working Dog Radio and HRD also. Uh, they do a great job, and they're super high quality, and the print on them is phenomenal. In fact, if you want, you can contact them. They'll send you sample packs so you can see exactly what it is, and they'll help you with all the artwork too. Eric, where do you get them? 
We get them at combatbet.com. That's combatbet.com. They have a discount code for us. It's Working Dog Radio, all spelled out in capitals. Working Dog Radio. And if we see you in person, you better have one in your pocket because I'm going to drop one on you and you're going to owe me a beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love our partnership with RayAllen.com. They've been doing business, ethical business, RayAllen.com. They've got everything you need to know for uh, all dogs, not just not just working dogs. You guys that are training pets and training police dogs or, or have pets, check them out, RayAllen.com. Ted, there's a way for them to get a discount, correct? Yep. You go over there and you use the discount code working dog radio for 10% off of your next order. They've got the Tricos gear. They've got vet care stuff. They've got some of the working dog dry goods, muzzles and their own muzzles. They have that new rad harness that they just came out with the nomad that everybody seems to be loving. Um, some of my guys are using it right now. One of the prototypes and he's already had some, uh, some good work in it. So rayallen.com use the discount code working dog radio for 10% off your next order. Okay, we are back with Franco Angelini, the bite doctor here for uh, talking talking decoy stuff. A lot of people like when we do decoy shows, and um, Franco's caught as many dogs as, as anybody who's ever put a suit on in their life. So figure what a great way to get them on here. Um, so before the break, we, I mentioned about uh, some of the things. And again, this, this so this goes all the way back to 2008. I was a handler, just started my second dog. Um, and I went to that, uh, law dog, the Invictus law dog seminar out there in Vegas, which was a great seminar, by the way, I wish they would still have it. I know the guy, I talked to him, he said it was, you know, it eventually became too much, but, um, so, and I remember watching you with the bite suit and back home, we were still a lot of scratch pants and sleeves, man, even on street dogs, scratch pants and sleeves. So I saw you in your videos, you were, you had a dog on a frontal, you're down on the ground on your back. And you were talking about rolling the dog, you know, doing barrel rolls, basically, and how to how to do it safely. And um, so, talk about like the genesis of that with you. Where'd that come from? How'd you figure? What What do you do with that? Um, and uh, and and what you like to see out of that? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the barrel roll is just it's just one of the it's just one of the many changes of environment that we can put a dog into it's a the reason for it the reason i do a barrel roll with a dog or sometimes it's not even a barrel roll i just put the dog in complete submission you know i put the place dog straight on his back i lay on top of him while he's biting me in the shoulder and i just push him into a survival mode uh the barrel roll typically comes in to sort of give him a, it's a 50 50 split you, you, he's on top i'm on top he's on top i'm on top he's on top i'm on top and we sort of it's a shared experience Obviously, the stronger the dog, the more fight I want to put the dog, the less time he gets on top, the more time he has to spend on the bottom. So it's just basically, once again, getting into the animal behavior of it all and saying, all right, well, what's a submissive position for an animal? Let's eliminate the, let's just talk about two animals. Well, the, the, lower, the, the lower ranking dog is always going to probably end up in passive submission or submission, and that's straight on his back with the alpha male over top. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a powerful position for a decoy to be in when a dog's actually biting you, and a lot of powerful alpha dogs don't like that positioning. Um, they'll do everything they can to to get themselves out of it. So that's why I do it. I mean, in, in short, uh, but that's no different than you know picking a dog up and putting him up against a wall or dropping him through a window. You know, while he's on the bite. You know, keeping his legs up off the ground. It's just a constant change of environment, and I'm always looking to see. All right, dog, what? Where can I stress you the most, but not break you? Where can I take you? 
where can I take you where you'll, you'll say, this is a new experience. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but your recovery is going to always be stronger. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for recovery in a dog. Um, and if I've reached a breaking point and if I've reached, I, I will never break a dog. It's, it's always been my motto. I'm not there to break a dog. Um, I'm only there to take him to his peak. I'm, I try to tell guys all the time. I tell them in my class all the time. It's a decoy's job, in my opinion. This is my definition of a decoy. Is we're the sparring partner. We're the we're the only person that can make that dog a great fighter. A handler cannot make his dog a great fighter. So the dog, the handler may be his best friend, but believe me, I am his second best friend because once again, they're going to need a a a decoy to take that dog to a fight level. Um, you know, outside of what natural genetics have given that animal, we have to teach him skills. It's no different than a kid who's got great genetics and could be a great fighter, but somebody's got to train him to be that fighter. And we don't want to train it in a negative fashion where a, where a kid, you know, every time he walks out of the gym, he's, he's hurt, you know, he's, it's got to be a learning experience. And so that's, you know, once again, it's a lengthy answer for why I do, you know, the roles on the ground. It's just, it's something I do. And I don't do it with every dog. There's a, there's a vast majority of dogs that won't handle it now. And I say that with some concern, they won't handle it today. Will they handle it in a week? Maybe. Um, I've got to progress to that level. So, you know, I can walk into a decoy course and maybe out of 16 dogs only roll one. Um, but then I've been, I've been to some military ones with, and some law enforcement ones where, you know, I get 16 dogs on the field and I can fight all 16 and I can be on the ground with them and they're, and they're, and they want more. I mean, they want more. Um, so, and it's not, I'm not saying, okay, the military is getting better dogs or tier one dogs are better than any other. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying uh, the, the type of training that we give these dogs every day. I mean, if you're only going to give the dog a left arm bite in training and that's all you're going to do, then we can't really, we really can't flaw the dog and say, well, the dog doesn't have the capabilities. Well, we don't ever know he doesn't have the capabilities because we never take him to that. And that, once again, I'm not blaming the handlers because the skill set that they're trained in their, and I, once again, this is a generalized statement. There are some good courses out there across the country that are teaching it. But for the most part, the one, you know, I do, a lot, I ask guys to critique my course. I did it for a number of years. They actually had to give me a written critique of my course. But the same critique always came back. And it always, one of the main things on it says, Franco, why don't we get this in our basic course? This should be the first four days of school. We shouldn't even get our dog. We, you should be on the receiving end of a dog before you're ever on the, on the, on the uh, back end of a dog. It, you couldn't put it in any, I, I tell guys all the time, I couldn't have put that in better words myself. That's exactly what you should be saying. And I firmly believe if you're a great decoy, you'll be a phenomenal handler because you'll understand what your dog's doing when he's doing it. You know, you're not second guessing it. You actually know what the behavior is and how he's biting and why he's, what way he's doing it. And it helps you really communicate as a handler to the decoy. And you can really progress in your training quickly. If you understand it, I have a good friend of mine who's a trainer with the Navy and his name's Kevin Keller. We've, we've worked together for 30 years. I mean, he's one of my closest friends. He's my equal in the decoy world. Um, and we used to work each other's dogs. And it was so nice because my dog could be done. And he knew what I was thinking. And I knew what he was thinking. I knew where he was going to go with my dog before the dog knew where he was going to go with my dog. I mean, we just knew it. The, the scenarios could progress so fast and so strong because we both had a good understanding of the behavior and where we wanted to place our dogs. And so the ground fighting, that's really where I got a lot of it was working with Kevin and guys like Kevin, Jim Haggerty, the guys out there uh, that are, that are out there today. They've been out there for a number of years. Uh, it's always a shared experience and we're always on the same sheet of music because we have that a good understanding of behavior. And that's where I think it's lacking right now. I think the basic courses teach the basics of 
handling skills. And I get it. You know, you tell a department, hey, department, I got four, you got four weeks or 26 weeks school. Which one do you want to send your guy to? The guy's going to go, the chief's going to say, send him to four weeks. I can get him back on the street in four weeks, send him back in four weeks. Well, let me tell you, I used to do four week schools. They're not, they're not easy to do. Um, you don't they suck. get you know, tops all prices. They you do. They absolutely <laughs> do. But when you got to, but when you're running a business, you know, and that's what that was a business, and you got departments going, I need them back in four weeks. You know, that puts you got to put pre training into the dog. There's a lot of other things. And a lot of times you don't get choices of the handlers. You, it, a department comes up and says, hey, we're picking Billy Bob here. Well, you know what? Billy Bob shouldn't be a dog handler. They don't want to hear that. He's the mayor's son and he's going to get a dog. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that you fight when you're running a private business and that. And that's another reason I'm glad, so glad I stepped away from it. Um, because you, you got these time crunches, you got guys that are going, wait a minute, I got a dog. Why do I got to run with a dog? That's why I got a, that's why I got a dog. He chases people. You know, those are the mindsets that you have to deal with. It's just like, you know what? I, let me just go do decoys because nobody signs up to be a decoy unless they want to be a decoy. I mean, for anybody that signs up for my school or your school or uh, Jerry Bradshaw school or, you know, working with Sean Siggins or, you know, these guys out there that are top of their game at, at decoying, they know what they're getting themselves into. So they're not going to sign up unless they want to get bit. And so that's, you know, you know, we, we get on this whole, you know, I get on a rant again and I apologize for that, but, uh, you know, the whole purpose of the, of the ground fighting and we got into that. And, you know, the, well, no, and you, and you, <clears throat> you bring up a good point. We haven't, I directly said it, but you know, what you're talking about is drive channeling. Um, you're pushing a dog from prey into defense and back and forth and whatever else. Um, there seems to be, and, and I'm not, well, I, this is a lie. I know where it came from, but, um, you know, there seems to be this preoccupation with dogs that are either really noisy or that are super quiet on a grip. And I've had, I've had trainers, I've seen dogs that, I mean, we have, I have a dog that's on an apartment down in Texas that has ungodly amount of street bites. And that motherfucker makes noise in his sleep. Every time he, I mean, no, everything he does, he makes noise, like everything when he's tracking and he's just loud and he's, and it is what it is when he bites, when he gets defensive, when you roll him and when you start pushing on him, he's dead quiet. And that was always a tell for me with that dog. And then I've had dogs that are the exact opposite um, that are, I can't get them to bark for anything. Like they won't bark in the car. They won't bark for anything. And all of a sudden you push on them a little bit and their eyes get dilated. Like you said, and all of a sudden they start getting thrashy. They start kind of whining a little bit when they start being uncomfortable. So talk a little bit about kind of what, um, when you're doing some of the ground fighting, when you're evaluating some of these dogs, um, what some of the, I guess, uh, I guess the word I'm looking for is tells that a lot of the dogs will do um, to tell you that you're pushing on them just a little too much. So you don't go into that going to break them territory. Yeah. So, I, I mean, everything you said, I, you know, I see all the time. I mean, it, it's just across the, it, it's across, I was just in Ohio uh, two weeks ago doing a seminar up in Cleveland and uh, had a lot of nice dogs there in Cleveland. And we had one dog come in because and I, we started fighting work on him. And he said, hey, you know, my dog has never barked at a decoy before. But once again, you know, that goes back to that visual thing we were talking about. Because what did you do differently? Right. Well, one, I, I didn't have any equipment on, so it wasn't equipment that would stimulate him. But it was my visual perspective that I was putting on. The pressure that I was putting on the dog just visually caused that dog to go into a defensive state. He was going like, hey, I don't know what you're doing, but, you know, this is a distance-increasing signal, so I'm going to warn you to stop doing what you're doing, or we're going to go to the next step. And so, you know, we built upon that because that's what he wanted. Now, there's a number of reasons why dogs can be completely quiet. One, they've been cat. They've been cat. And I know some guys out there that really push the cap hard. Unless they give the dog a free command to, to give them an okay, that dog is not going to bark. And once again, you know, we talked about my brief 
when I when I when I get introduced to a dog, how important it is. Like that's a primary question for me. I mean, I'm, I ask that all the time. Is your dog capped? If they say yes, well, I'm courteous to that. I'm not going to go out there and try to break that dog's cat. These guys want them quiet for a reason. Now, <clears throat> let's get into the fight side of it all. So auditory signals, we talked about communication. We talked about visual a lot. And you asked me about my hat and sunglasses and things. So the auditory signal gives you just as much information. So, and I get this question a lot. Guys go, well, frankly, you know, you said if a dog sort of growls or barks through the bite, that he's a nervy dog and he's, he's you know, he's not, it's not good. You can't look at it from one part of the communication. You have to look at the total package of the bite. So um, if a dog is biting full, I mean, he is biting full. He's driving the bite. I mean, he's controlling the prey. He's socially dominant on the prey. He's wrapping the leg. He's driving the bite into the body, but he's growling and he's biting harder and he's growling and he's barking through the bite. That to me, that's rage. That is fight. That is a dog that's, I, you know, I, I don't know how much I can say here on the radio, but what I tell the guys is basically in my classes, you know, it's like, um, you know, we go to the bar tonight and somebody grabs your old lady's ass. Well, then you start to lay the sticks to him and you start saying things that, you know what, you, to this guy that if you ever do it again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. That's strong auditory tone. That's not fear that's coming out of your, out of your body. That's, that's, not a, that's not a weakness in you. That is a clear tone to this gentleman that I'm not only going to beat you, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to scream and, and, and yell at you. So it's all part of that defensive package. So what I also tell the guys is just as important to know is when you hear that auditory tone is, once again, look at that grip. If he's biting with a canine, and we all know, any decoy should know, that if your dog is biting with a canine, he's not biting. I did not give a dog canines to bite with. I gave dog canine to tear the flesh of the meat once he's made prey kill. All power of a grip comes from the mid-molars to the rear molars. That's where the power of the bite is. That's where it should always yep. be established. That's why, I that's why I teach my guys day one. You know, when we're doing muscle memory drills, every time you present the, either the back or the, the front or the sleeve or whatever we're presenting, the first words out of your mouth is check the bite. Now, they may never say check the bite. They'll say it about 5,000 times in my class, but they may never say it again in their life. But I know one thing, that their <laughs> eyes are going to go right to that bite, and they're going to look at it. It's muscle memory. I've created it. You know, it's a hard thing to get guys to do auditories. Cops and military guys... For some reason, it's hard to get them to get auditory. But once I can break it, and that's how I do it, is I teach these guys the first thing, because the most important part about bite work is the bite. It's the grip. And if the dog isn't setting a full grip, we shouldn't be working the dog. We've got to stop. We've got to set that grip. Now, whether that's a relationship issue, maybe he's got a distrust of decoys, of inexperienced decoys, and that's all he's had the ability to work with. So in his mind, he's been taught, you know what, if I counter and I do a lot of head shakes and I keep countering and countering and countering, most of my decoys are pretty weak. So what they'll do is they'll just dump the sleeve and the dog will win the sleeve. So the dog knows how to end the exercise. And he also knows that most, most bites only last, what, 20, 20 to 40 seconds somewhere. And I'm, and I'm being courteous at that level. Let's just say they last 40 seconds at the best. You know, and then guys are pulling their dogs out. Get the dog, get the dog, get the dog. He's getting the sleeve away. Or he, you know, the dog's got a history of maybe being a double biter, so he'll release the sleeve and maybe hit you in the legs. So the guys are starting to lower the bite down to the ground, and they're creating all these bad habits. Um, these are all the things that start to create problems for the professional decoy when he walks in and, start, and we start doing drive evaluations. We're going, well, you know, he's got a lot of auditory signals. Well, one, it's a distrust he has with the decoy. You know what? He's not setting the grip. He's, he's anticipating certain things to happen here that aren't happening. And that's what I try to do. This is where I get into this recovery with an animal. You know, right. the first time I take a bite, he's going to bite me like he's going to bite an inexperienced decoy and go, all right, let me get, let me test the waters here. 
but I won't give him the responses that he typically gets from an inexperienced decoy. I'm going to wait that dog out, and I'm going to get the dog back into what I call the reasoning state. And once he's in a reasoning state, then he's going to go back to instinctive behavior. And instinctive behavior taking over, then I start to respond like another animal. And hence, that's when we start to really promote the dogs. And, you know, guys, it's the one thing about the classes, you know, why I think it's so successful is because it's a, almost an immediate gratification for the guy. You know, and cops are like that. You know, they like instant gratification. So when they see their dogs have got a bad habit and they've had a bad habit for a while, but in just a matter of two or three sessions on the field, that they've been able to turn their dog's personality completely around. I mean, completely change his behavior. To go from a dog that's trying to counter and put, get away from the decoy to a dog that's actually trying to socially dominate a decoy and actually eliminate the verbiage. Or well, a real popular thing is a lot of times guys go, well, Franco, my dog likes to gravitate to the hand. Okay, that's a pretty mm -hmm. common thing. Because yes. why? Because most decoys tend to drop their hand, and, and when the dog bites a hand for real... What's the decoy? The decoy does give an auditory signal. He starts screaming yep. like a banshee because it hurts. And now the dog goes like, wow, this is a nice payday. So yeah. this is what, so, you know, they give me all this in the brief. But when I change things up and I start giving that same auditory feedback for biting me high in the, in the, in the tricep, then the dog has no desire to go anywhere else in the body. He's, I've, I've built the dog's confidence in that part of the body for him to go like, well, why do I need to go to the hand? This guy has given me as much auditory feedback and, and, and pleasure bite him in the tricep as I did that guy that I bit in the hand. Right. So that's so, how it sort of all works itself out. So that auditory signal, the barking, the one you explained in Texas, completely makes sense to me, 100%. But I always try to tell guys, if when you're looking at, when you're, when you're listening to the auditory signal, look at the total package of the dog. Look at his visual, uh, look at the grip, feel the grip, and look at his body posture. What's the body of the dog doing? So, you know, and I'm not suggesting that this podcast in general or anything is going to replace actually getting in the suit and doing it hands on. All three of us agree that that is the like that is really the only way to do this correctly. And when like when Eric and I both do decoy school, in fact, when this airs, I'll be teaching one with TPD. Um, you know, I have to have dogs there that, like you say, are very confident that I know I know, I know that they know what they're doing. They bite correctly. So, I mean, talk a little bit about what it should look like um, and try and, you know, for everybody listening that if you can't get to, you know, one of Franco's courses, or if you can't get to Eric or I or wherever, or somebody that knows what they're doing, then, you know, what does a proper canine look like when it's targeted correctly and they are gripping or biting or whatever term we're going to use correctly? Oh, so the proper picture, the best picture for me. So as, as I said early on in, in our in our conversation, that the dog has to be comfortable in any part of the body. So he has to bite me equally as well. And we talk about the grip. The grip has to be as full on the chest as it is on the forearm. There can't be any. So if I put him on the chest and he tends to gravitate his body to the outside, I think you, and we all, the same terminology I think is used cross country. And that's basically the dog takes the bite on the chest, but he pushes his core part of his body away from the center of my body. Now, he only does that when he's biting me in the chest because, one, yeah, he's biting me because he wants to bite, but at the same time, he's never been there before. Well, right there is something that I have to start to say, all right, buddy, you're not really ready to go to full fight at this point in time. I want to I clean that up. I want to get you comfortable inside my core before I start to, to get on top of you. So if the dog bites me in the arm, but he lays right in the center of me, he's got no problem with it because he's seen that sight picture time and time and time again. So pro proper proper grip in all areas of the body is by far the most important thing. If he's biting shallow, 
well, that sight picture is wrong. That's the first thing that has to be corrected. And, you know, I didn't mention it, but it's part of this. So I'm a big believer in the back tie. I mean, like, I'm a big believer. Uh, I don't care if the guy's holding the leash. It's a back tie. Um, I believe in, especially when I'm training a young decoy, energy, the dead downfield speed of a dog. Hit, you know, I've got some, some devastating photos of animals that have been, that have been, you know, not killed and retired from injuries that they've received on the, on the field. Um, so, I mean, I'm a big believer in the back tie and teaching guys on a back tie because I think once I create that muscle memory, the downfield then becomes a little bit easier. Um, but with that said, going back to your question about the grip issues, once I establish that the dog is biting every part of the body equally, then I look for what is his body posture doing. Is he wrapping the body? Is he socially dominating? Or is he now going into a counter? And then if he goes into a counter, a rearward counter, then my question goes is, okay, is he doing the rearward counter because he's on a timer? He knows that the bite only lasts 40 seconds and he's getting close to that time and, I'm, and the dog's wearing double electric and, you know, he's got a gag ball in his mouth and he's got all kinds of other stuff he's going to about get ready to get hit with. So the dog's now fighting through all these, these precursors. These things are about to come into play. And so I've got to decide, all right, is it, is it, the, is it the environment that's about to occur, not because of me, but because of the handler approach, or is it, is it, is it, is it me? Is it something that I'm doing to the dog? So once you've established that and you say, all right, it's not me. It's not the decoy. This dog is 100% on the decoy. He's full grips. He's socially dominating me. He's driving me down the field. At that point in time, I think I've got the total picture uh, package of the dog where I can then go in the fight. And now granted the majority of my course takes part in a, an open grassy field i mean i'm not doing my deep course on a concrete floor i'm not doing it on an open stairwell i'm not doing any of that obviously I, my, that course is built to train decoys and proper mechanics but everything you learn on that field can be then carried into these different types of environment dark rooms or open stairwells or slick floors whatever they might be um but the point of it is, is the dog's going to change at that point too, possibly. And you have to keep that in mind. So a dog that performs really, really well in a grassy field may not perform as well when you get him in the shopping mall floor where it's, you know, high gloss or green tiles. I mean, this is where phobias can really come out and show themselves. And this was, I mean, predominant in the, in the 90s, 80s, 90s early 2000s where the Europeans were dumping all these dogs over here. I mean, that was a big problem that we had was we had some strong dogs that came off a grassy field, but once we put them into an environment, they started getting a little, they started to show a lot of weaknesses. Well, if a dog isn't willing to recover on a shiny floor, then he's really no good to us in the law enforcement or military working dog community. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know the, if that sort of answered the question, but that's what I'm oh, looking absolutely. for in a dog's posture. And, you know, absolutely, like my partner, Scott, says one thing, you know, he, he tells, he says this all the time when we get dogs in or we evaluate dogs, if they have an environmental issue, even before we see them grip, right? If they have an environmental issue with something, he's, and he, Scott will say, he goes, I guarantee, he'll look at me and say, I guarantee you this dog's going to have some kind of funky, weird quirk when he bites. And he's almost a hundred percent correct. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, yeah at, at yep. utmost importance. And it goes back to what you said a minute ago, we interviewed subtle and he said the same thing you said at the beginning of the interview, you can tell the dog walks out when he talks about his evaluation. Mike was like, man, I can tell in the first three minutes if I'm going to buy him or not. And I kind of laugh because you have people that go over and they evaluate a dog for 10 fucking days and, you know, they want to get his blood type and, you know, they get his fucking tender profile set up. And so, <laughs> but no, yeah, you're, you're yeah, 100% you're, correct. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're going to run a business, you've got to be efficient and you've got to be able to evaluate a dog. And the Europeans know that. They know that they test you. 
They test Americans all the time. I've been going there for 35 uh, yeah. years, and they test me when I still go over there. They're hoping that I had one too many beers the night before or something, that I'm going to you know, walk a cat out the first time. I'm going like, dude, that's a cat. They go, oh, dude, you're pretty sober today. You know, they'll try anything. I didn't know. Fucking lying. I didn't know. You know, they'll try just about anything to get you to bite. You know what? I was told this by a European vendor in Holland. It doesn't matter the name. He told me, Franco, anybody can sell a good dog. The guy that can sell a piece of shit is a good businessman. Now, that is a quote from one of the large, it's a quote from the largest vendors in Europe um, that told me that. I mean, so, I mean, granted, it's all about, it's all about money. It's all about money over there. And they're the greatest people in the world. Believe me, I've got a lot of friends over there, a great deal of friends. And, uh, and some of them can, are, are good, solid canine guys. Uh, but other ones are just business, are just businessmen. And it's all about, you know, generating a dollar. So. So, um, you gotta be on your game. When you, no doubt about it. Oh yeah. 100%. You are working some dogs, maybe they're, I don't know, greenish or I mean not green, but like most partway through their training or have their training. They're on the road and they're not, they don't have a street bite yet for whatever reason, not, not by a failure, but just by lack of targets. Um, what is your, and you could probably even tell in your four day seminar, what is your, go-to thing that could tell you that a dog will not bite on the street will not bite on the street um so a lot yeah, of equipment your... fixation. so uh, yeah there's a ton of equipment fixation so when i come out of the blind typically when i come out of the blind i do civil work and i'm just communicating through you know a visual perspective or you know body postures and motions no equipment at all i can typically see a dog starting to shut down they'll tee off they'll you know they'll go into a complete avoidance on me um, even once I come out and give them a bite or two and then come back out on civil, they start to shut themselves down. I don't fail a dog for that. I mean, that's failure, I think, in some training. Um, once again, I, I, I've got to, I always give the dog the benefit of the doubt. When, every time I step on the field with that dog, were you better than the last time I was out there? And until we reach that point where he says, you know what, I'm not recovering anymore. I just don't want to do this. I don't, I'm done progressing. Genetics, I don't have the genetic predisposition to do it then it's done. It's over at that point. I'm not going to break the dog. I'm going to tell the handler, hey, you know, I've, I've done the best I can do. You know, maybe you can talk to Armin or some of these other guys, and maybe they can do more than I can do. But I believe that I've taken this dog to his, to his, what God-given genetic predisposition is, and that's as strong as that he's going to ever be. Um, but I will never break a dog. I'm not a big believer in that. And I know there are some guys out there that feel a need, to, whether it's because they want to sell their product or whatever the case might be, that they want to – they want to exasperate a, a weakness in a dog. They want to show everybody, like, I told you this dog was weak. I'll run him off the field for you. Yeah, see, that's not me. That's, not, that's never going to be me. I am always going to promote the dog. The weakest dog in the world is always going to leave invincible. And, and once again, but it's an honest conversation when that day is over, one-on-one, -on -one, in private, with the handler saying, hey, bud, you know what? I've done what I could do. Um, and, and just leave it at that. So that's just sort of my whole take on the whole thing. And, but, you know, young dog, I work young dogs, old dogs. I, once again, there's things that I look at in an animal. So maturity is a big thing to me. Um, and I talk about this in my class. There are certain things that decoys have no control over. And, then, and it's important that decoys know this. One, we don't have control over genetic predisposition. We don't have it. You walk a dog in front of me, I can't make his genetics any better than what they were. Um, two, maturity. If he's a 10-month-old dog, he's a 10-month-old dog. Now, this 10-month-old dog may act like he's three, but believe me, he's one of 
a thousand that might act like he's and if he acts like he's a three-year-old dog at 10 months old there's a good possibility the europeans ain't going to sell him to us so that's pretty much <laughs> out of the question anyway yep. so so i always tell guys you know age means everything to me and in, and i look relate everything to the pack so you know what would be the responsibilities of a 10-month-old dog in, in in a pack of animals would he be the alpha dog or would he be possibly an omega dog would he be at the bottom of the where would he fall in that chain and he surely wouldn't be the alpha because if he was the alpha, he'd be out forming his own pack or he'd be fighting the alpha male for pack position. So what's he at? He's in a learning stage. He's, he's going out on the hunt, but he's not the primary hunter. The alpha is there. You know, he may corner, he, he has a responsibility, but he's learning from the alpha male to one day so he can become a, an alpha in the pack. Uh, so that's how I generate. When I work a young dog, I say, buddy, you're not an alpha yet. I'm going to make you an alpha. I am going to teach you your fight skills. And then when you're 18 months old, 20 months old, 22 months old, 24 months, whatever that, that magic month is for you. I believe dogs go through about five maturity cycles and it takes to about the 24th month to reach that. Now, with that said, I've seen dogs that are three and a half years old and they act like they're 10 months old. I'm going like, Wow. They just, they're not mature in the mind. They just don't mature really well in the mind. But once again, that's a rarity, but it's out there and you have to be able to identify it. So, you know, I keep those, I try to explain that to all my guys, you know, you can't train genetics, you can't train maturity, and I surely can't train the bond between the handler and the dog. So if there's conflict between handler and dog, there's not a lot that I can do about it as a decoy. I control the field. And I can control positioning of the handler and, and bring them in from certain directions and say, hey, you know, you're the reason why we have a little bit of conflict here in the dog. It has nothing to do with fighting me. Actually, this dog loves to bite me. He's enjoying himself. The conflict is actually coming in when you're coming into the fight. And why? Because most guys don't fight with their dogs. They stay very sanitary. And that's not realistic. In our world, you know we go hands-on. And not only does the canine officer typically go hands-on, but typically – Anybody that's in the stack or anybody that's involved in the, in the, in the incident is going to go hands on the guy. So that's why you got to train like you work kind of mindset. Um, and we also, like, I'm a, I believe in extended fight times. And I know this is a little bit off topic of what you just asked me about, but, you know, I try to tell the guys, you know, I, I would rather fight a dog for four minutes and put him up for the day than give him five bites for 20 seconds. I just think from a conditioning perspective, for our, you know, for a realistic perspective, if you send a dog out on an area search offline and he's out in the middle of the woods going battle with somebody and you're trying to locate your dog, that fight could last a little bit of time. So, I, you know, I try to give a lot of variable. I like variations in training times and, tra and fight times and things like that. Um, yeah, that's what it all comes down to. Yeah, that we've talked about that a little bit. We had Carlos Ramirez on, and he, he has a pretty good quote that's it's called bite work, not outwork. And he talks about getting longer bites, five, you know, 10 minutes if you can, 15, and you'll see the change in your outing and you'll see the change in the handler conflict. Um, and, you know, so listen, right. those of it's us, so right. right, those of us who came up in the early 2000s and probably even earlier than that, ne lots of us never really did that. It was always, you send your dog on the bite, whether it's in a building area search, on the field, whatever it is, run down there and get him off before he gets too gooned out would always be the right. the thought right. process. Right. And when I took over as trainer, yeah. I didn't know any different. I thought the same thing. Right. So you run down there and I was like, why is this dog just spinning away from the handler all the time? Um, and, you know, and just all this conflict. And it was, you know, and if I look back and it's always 20, 30 second bites, you know, we want to get them off. And now we're, you know, Ted and I talk about a lot where, 
it sucks for the decoy, but put him on my bicep and I'm going to sit down in the chair in this air-conditioned room and I'm going to sit here for 15 minutes. And you'll watch your dog yeah. bloop, pop right off at the end when you tell him and be happy about it. But Ramirez, um, Ramirez is so right when he says it's bite training and it's not out training. Now, a guy like guys get that confused. Out training comes on its own. It has nothing to do with what we're training and when it comes to decoy work. And uh, the conflict issue between handler and dog that run down the field all the time, grab the dog off, it just in ground fighting. I mean, so that's, a, that's why I'm a big proponent of ground fighting. One, because it's realistic. I, you know, you, you're both law enforcement officers. Obviously, you've, you've, when a dog takes, gets a grip on somebody on the street, whether the dog took him to the ground or you assisted him to the ground, you know you're not putting him into custody until he's on the ground. I mean, the prone position is the safe position to put somebody into custody. It's just, it's a common sense thing. It's not, it has nothing to do with a dog. It's just, it's common sense. And on the other hand, when a dog kills an animal, if the animal is still standing and fighting, does the dog let go of the animal? No. So, you know, but all our decoys want to fight in the air, want to fight standing up and never go to the ground and give the dog true success, true prey kill. The man below him, that is success in an animal's mind. Now, I'm not saying that has to happen every single time, but that is a nice sight picture to show, a, to show an animal because it makes sense to him. And it makes sense in what we do. Once again, we're not doing schutzen. We're not doing sport. So, you know, we're not doing KMVP. We're not doing that. We are doing law enforcement, military, working dogs, and the vast majority of people we have to tangle with are going to end up in the prone position one way or another. So if we, can, if we can honestly say that's true, then we need to train that way. If we can say, no, that's not true, we never, we never put a suspect in the down during a fight, well then, okay, then train in a standing position. <laughs> Fuck that. We tackle I've people. Never... <laughs> <laughs> I'll tackle them with a dog on them. No, I don't I'm, care. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I'm just trying to be politically correct. Yeah. I'm not trying to take it too far, but I agree with you 100%. It's going to be a pig file. I mean, it's going to be a pig file. Everybody's going to give some blows in. That's the way it is um, because it's just a safe thing. So, you know, I, we agree. Everybody I talk to, for the most part, agrees that's why the way we deploy our dogs. Then that sort of clicks the switch, and everybody goes, well, you know what? If that's the way we work, that's the way we got to train. And that, there you go. There's just, you know, you don't have to do it because Franco said to. You got to do it because of. Because it's right for the dog. Most of the time, the decoys won't go to the ground because they're lazy. But that's a whole other topic anyway. <laughs> no, so, yeah, we, we go on for that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about, real quick, we'll get into, like, your website, your social media, work, your seminars and stuff, Where, how far out you're booking, what you're doing, where you're going to be. Yeah, so I leave for Italy on Saturday. Uh, and I just go, now I go roadshow for, through, through November. Um, and then I'll take uh, December off. So I'm going on, uh, I'll go to Europe, get back, I'll be in Maryland. Maryland, I go to North Carolina, North Carolina, to Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. I'll be out in California for a couple of weeks. And then I'll take the month of December off. And then January, I'll just start all over again, go down to Florida. And I'm booked out through um, uh, June 17th. Uh, I go to Korea, uh, get back from Korea, and I'll take July and try to pull some of August off because of the heat. Um, and then September, I'll be down in New Mexico. And so I'm, I'm booking right now September, October of next year. Um, and as far as social media, I, I mean, I've got a webpage, you know, canadbytedoctor.com. It has my full schedule on it. And then another thing that's just come up and it's pretty new is I, I sat down with Canine Training Systems, Doug Calhoun. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Doug. He's out in Missouri. Yeah. But he does, all, yeah. he, does all the training, he does all the training series for, you know, from Ivan Balabanov, Randy Hare. He does everybody. Um, right. He does a, beautiful beautiful job well he came out to colorado last year and we shot 40 hours of video 
and he just released the foundational tapes now, and we're going to go into a series of three tapes. So, you know, we're doing that. Um, a lot of good information will come off that, obviously, and he's got a lot of great educational videos. So it's just not the decoy side. I mean, anything from scent detection to obedience and, and everything else, he's got a lot of great instructors on there. Um, and then as far as that, that's about it on the social media side. A little bit of Facebook time, but, you know, just whatever time permits, that's, that's all I've got. No, nothing you've said in this interview dated you until you said tapes. <laughs> so he, he I don't mean that. Right, so it's not a tape. No, no. Okay. <laughs> there's fucking there's yeah, millennial handlers right. listening to this. They're like, what the fuck yeah, is he talking okay. about? <laughs> yeah, no, no, not a tape. I apologize. No, it's all live. It's all streaming no. video. I apologize. You're right. You're right. I, just did it. I tried to not date myself. I did it. <laughs> tapes tapes and a home phone what the hell are we talking about so yeah. uh, uh, give right. give your website address again real quick uh, it's uh, letter k number nine bite doctor dr at uh, or dot com k bite doctor dot com nice yep that's and all your on. stuff's up there they can get up there and we'll put it in the show yeah, notes and everything um, right right and so, this is mean, a fast hour yeah it is and I, you know like a, one of the biggest problems we didn't talk about it but I, it's important to mention like one of the biggest problems I see out there is equipment. Equipment, equipment. It degrades bite work. It really does degrade bite work. There's a lot of mm-hmm. poor equipment that's being sold by a lot of companies out there that shouldn't be out there. I'm not. In, I don't sell equipment. My name's on Roca because I, I, you know, I, I'm loyal to to Roca as far as the bite suit goes. But that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about foundational bite grip equipment. You know, sleeves, level ones, compression sleeves, things of like that. That is where we've done the biggest disservice to our to our canines because people that are purchasing equipment know nothing about it. So I just, I'll end on that note and leave it at that. All right. Uh, Ted, where can you be found? Um, on the Instagrams, Ted underscore summers, uh, Facebook, uh, torchlight canine letter K number nine. And the podcast, uh, is working dog radio. And then, um, <clears throat> we have HRD police canine also, uh, which we're going to be, that's filling up for the rest of the year. We're done for the rest of the year. We're filling up for that. Uh, we've already got Memphis in January and Delaware State Police in February in Dover. Uh, it's going to be a good time. We're going back to Philly again in October uh, of next year. Uh, so hit us up there as well. And then on Instagram, working underscore dog underscore radio is where you can find the podcast where we give stuff away and Eric and I post stuff. Plus Patreon. Eric, talk about Patreon. Oh, yeah, patreon.com, Working Dog Radio. Um, we have several levels on there uh, where you can get this the podcast a day early, commercial-free. Um, we put some videos of us actually recording the podcast up there. We put a lot of training videos. Uh, we're possibly going to maybe do some um, interviews that can only be seen on Patreon, just things like that. But it's it's pretty good. We answer all the questions people have for us on there. Uh, we put, uh, I just put up today or yesterday of, uh, teaching the out video or, or cleaning up a dog's out, um, yeah, yeah. just using, uh, negative reinforcement. So it's, it's stuff like Bradshaw talked about in his podcast, but it, he didn't show it. So it's things for people to see and, yep. um, patreon.com working dog radio. Yeah. So it's been awesome. This was, so, like you said, it's a fast hour. Yeah. Guys, Frank, it thanks, Thank man. I really much, appreciate and, it. Uh, yeah. I'll see you guys in Now I won't be a, now, Yeah, now I won't ah, be afraid to come talk to you when I see you. <laughs> no, no, we'll be <laughs> in Pittsburgh. Be Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's right? Pittsburgh's, okay, Oh, yeah, it's an hour and a half from my house. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll be there. All so, right, fair enough, then. All right, good night, guys. There. Thank you.
All right. Yep. See you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Our very first sponsor, our most loyal guy, is Arno over at ALM Suits and Canine Equipment. I love his tugs, his suits, everything he's got going on. His hidden sleeve is yeah. legit. His trainer yeah. sleeves, all that stuff, man. We get a lot of stuff from Arno. When you call, he's the guy that answers the phone. He's a one-man operation, kicking ass over there. He's over in Vegas. If you're in town, hook him up and check him out. Ted, talk about his website and discount code. It's uh, ALM. K9, the letter K number nine, equipment.com. That's ALMK9equipment.com. If you use the discount code WDR Radio, it'll give you 10% off your first order as long as it's not a suit. He has, I just saw recently too that he's got those uh, super thin hidden Kevlar sleeves back in stock. Uh, those are the ones that Eric and I got as a prototype, and uh, we both love those things, and they've become kind of the go to thing for a lot of the hidden sleeve guys like PSA for the carjacking. And it's what we use for a lot of the scenarios you see where we use super thin equipment, we're rolling around wrestling with handlers. But uh, keeps you protected, keeps the dog engaged, lasts for quite a while, fits well too. So ALMK9Equipment.com. Yes, one of our very, very first sponsors of the podcast before we even recorded an episode is the guys out in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania at Bravo 3 and at Tripwire. Uh, we love those guys. They do a fantastic job of training the modern law enforcement and first responder. And that's what Bravo 3 is really all about. It's about an, a combination of SWAT, canine, Bomb EOD, fire, hazmat, TAC med, and SOF first responder guys. Everybody gets together to share information, so you've got a lot of people there that are really, really good at what they do, including Eric and I. We're going to be instructors. When is it, Eric? It is October 26th through the 29th in Gettysburg. You can sign up at bravo-3.com, www.bravo-3.com. Come see us, man. Come hang out. We'll have a good time. Yep. I want to take two seconds and talk about the entrance and exit music that everybody hears here, which is kind of an important part of the entire thing we do. The artist, Brother Deke, has been extremely gracious in letting us use this music, and I want everybody to go hit him up. And if he comes to town, go see him. Go buy his shirts and go buy his CDs. It's Brother Deke, D-E-G-E dot -E net. All of his new music's up there. You can get it on the same place that you're listening to this. You can get it on iTunes, you can get it on Google Play, or you can order it straight from his website. But go hit him up. He's a great dude, super gracious, and if you get a chance, go see him live. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.